Well, good morning. My name is Marco. I am the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Old Church Winery. Man, I I dig this place. I love coming here. It's so cool, even though it's only across the street. And and, and I dig it because, and I shared this last time, uh, the last time that the gospel was preached inside of the walls of this building was over 50 years ago. And so the fact that we get to come periodically and come and preach the gospel and sing uh, to God and praise him and his glory, I think is so freaking cool, right? I love coming here. Uh, We're going to find ourselves today in Galatians chapter 4. Now, if you've been with us for a while or you're just joining us, we're currently in a sermon series called Faith in Action. It's a study in the book of James. Today, we're going to be taking a short breather, and we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 4. And the reason we're going to be looking at Galatians... The reason we're going to be looking at Galatians is because today is what is referred to as Orphan Sunday, and we're having something called Compassion Sunday, where we're ultimately, or where I'm ultimately going to be preaching and teaching on orphan care. And let me just go into this. This is the main idea of our time today. In other words, if you don't walk, if you don't listen to anything else, listen to this part, right? That adoption is the heart of the gospel And because it's the heart of the gospel, it's the heart of who we are and what we do as the church. That's ultimately what we're going to be talking about today. Specifically, we're going to be addressing the doctrine of adoption. Now, every once in a while, I might throw in the the term orphan care. Now, let me just clear that up now before we, we jump into our time. Orphan care is this giant umbrella, right? It's this giant umbrella category that ultimately talks about lots of different things. For instance, one of those is adoption. Another one, as an example, is foster care. Another uh, uh, option under orphan care is partnerships with organizations like Compassion International. So I might throw out orphan care from time to time, but today we will be speaking, looking, teaching, and preaching on specifically the doctrine of adoption. And this applies to you. So if you're like, oh man, adoption, that's not really, no, 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 don't check out just yet. Give me your next however long we're going to be here. Give me your next couple of minutes because this applies to you because adoption is at the heart of the gospel. Now, before I jump into our time, before I jump into our text, one of the things that we do on a monthly basis is something called a missions moment. A missions moment is where we talk about uh, missionaries or organizations that we have partnered with. Um, and, and we just want to share that information with you guys to inform you, to equip you, uh, pr- particularly as we go into the new year. One of the organizations that we have partnered with, one of, more, one of our more meaningful partnerships, is Compassion International. You may have seen the booth when you walked in. Compassion International has been an organization that we have partnered with for the past three years where you get to sponsor uh, and support children uh, financially from all across the world. For us, we decided to uh, uh, develop partnership with not just Compassion, but also local churches, specifically in Guatemala. Uh, And so we've been doing that for the past three years. Last year, we took a trip to Guatemala. This year, we're looking uh, at taking another missions trip to Guatemala. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. 
And so Compassion International tends to be this one organization that we've partnered with. The church planning network that we're a part of, Acts 29, has also partnered with. We've met with and partnered with uh, local churches and missionaries in Guatemala. So there's this great ev- uh, evangelistic effort drawing to Guatemala. And our church has been sponsoring several kids for the past couple of years. For instance, my, my family and I, we sponsor a little girl. Her name is Gracie, and uh, we sponsored her when she was six years old. She is now eight. She loves going to church. She loves going to school and loves her cats. And, uh, and so we write to her uh, every couple of weeks, and then she responds and hooks us up with coloring book pages. She lets us know how she's doing and how her family is doing. And I didn't get to bring those sheets of paper. I'll post them on social media later on this week, but we get to hear from her all of the time. And so again, compassion to us has been an incredibly meaningful partnership uh, because it's such an easy avenue to get involved in the umbrella that is orphan care. So that was kind of my little spiel on Compassion International. I'll refer back to them during the sermon uh, in light of how to get involved into orphan care. Today's sermon is going to be uh, very biblical and then, and then very practical in light of what it means for us. So let me do this. Let me read Galatians 4. I won't waste any more time. Let me read Galatians 4 uh, verses 4 through 7, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dive into our time. Listen to the words uh, that Paul writes. He says, but when the fullness of time had Come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Now, if you like to underline or highlight, we're going to spend some time talking about that word redeem. So if you like to underline, highlight, and take notes, make sure you write that down. So we have verse 3 in the, where, where am I? I got lost. Right, verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we begin our time, I pray that you would, Lord, I pray simply that you would bless this time, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in your people, that as we look at the doctrine of adoption, that this would be a time where we would actually remember and reflect on the work that you've done to call us your own, that this wouldn't be a time where we check out because it may not necessarily be something that applies to us, but at the fact that adoption is at the heart of the gospel, it's at the heart of who you are, and it's at the heart of what we do uh, <clears throat> as the church. So I pray that you would bless this time. I pray that you would convict and compel our hearts to be the hands and feet of Jesus as we learn about this doctrine of adoption. So we ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right. So I have a lot of lists. Again, if you're new, uh, I, I tend to, to operate in lists. I think that's just easier. I think it's an easier way to teach. Like, these are the few things that we're going to talk about, and this is why we're ultimately going to be talking about them. So what we're going to do, as we've just looked at Galatians 4, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you five things that we see regarding the doctrine of adoption as seen in Galatians 4 and how that applies to us 
practically. Now, again, we're looking specifically at the doctrine of, ado- of, of adoption and the practicality of adoption as it applies to you and I today. So here's the first thing that I want you to know regarding adoption as seen in Galatians chapter 4. Here it is. You ready? Adoption is costly. Adoption is costly. The word redeem, the one that I told you to underline and highlight, it's significant. The word redeem, when you break it down, it means to buy out of. You see, in Greek culture, you can go to the marketplace and you can buy an individual out of slavery, right? You could even look at other facets of our history to see how this applies. But you can go to the market and you could purchase an individual out of slavery. Now, the thing about that is, even though you would purchase them out of the market, they would still be a slave. You follow me on that, right? <clears throat> the word redeem comes from that root meaning, to buy out of. Now, let me tell you what God does. Now that we, we've kind of got a little educated on the word redeem, let me tell you what God does. God sends his son, right? He sends his son Jesus to buy us out of slavery by paying for us with his own life. There was an exchange, and there was a payment, and the payment was his own blood. In fact, we can safely say that if you belong to Jesus, he paid really, really good money for you. He paid his own blood. He paid his own blood. Now, he takes it a step further. That's what's so amazing and awesome about God. He takes it a step further. Not only did he buy us out of slavery, he bought us out of slavery so that we would never return to who we once were. You feel me on that? Right? Again, if we're looking at it simply culturally, an individual could be purchased out of slavery, but ultimately still be a slave. Right? God takes it a step further when we're looking at redemption, that he sends his son to dwell among us, to die for us, paying the penalty for our sin, which is death, his own life, buying us out of slavery, and then telling us that we're never going to return to that. Ephesians 1 says that we have redemption through his blood. Now that's, that's the big picture of adoption being costly. See, God weighed out the cost. He knew what it was going to cost. And 1 John chapter 4 details that love that he had in light of that intimate knowledge, knowing that he was going to send his son. And here's the thing. Here's what's trippy. Upon God sending the son, he could have been cool at just doing that. Jesus could have just come and been an amazing teacher, which he was, and then bow out, which he could have done, but he didn't do. Not only did he stick around and dwell among us, he died for us. Adoption is costly. Now, as we look at the practicality of adoption as it applies to you and I right now, adoption is costly. Uh, It's a a huge financial problem. I guess, path that you want to walk through. If if you've ever considered walking through the process of adoption, uh, let me just tell you, it's ridiculously expensive. There are several avenues that you can walk through, but for the most part, what we're going to look at is you're looking at spending a lot of money. The cost of adoption is incredibly emotional. 
It's incredibly emotional, and I'll, and I'll detail more on that in just a little bit. But ultimately, here's what I'm getting to, that if you've considered pursuing adoption, one, it must be out of conviction. Two, those who do pursue adoption have a really clear understanding that their gift, that their treasure is not here on earth, but is in heaven. That must be the core and the heart of why we pursue adoption, why we pursue orphan care. There is a conviction that is founded in the word of God through the doctrine of adoption that is found in his word as to why we, the church, are the hands and feet of Jesus as we pursue orphan care, and in this case, adoption. It is costly, and that is just a practical reality. That is a practical reality. And I don't want to touch more on some of these things, some of these practical <clears throat> uh, positions in a little bit. Number two, as seen in Galatians 4, adoption means sonship. Let me, let me tell you two things that happen upon God adopting us and calling us to himself. Number one, our legal status has changed. We went from lost to found. There was a legal transaction. Jesus paid with his own blood. He paid what he needed to do. He paid with his own blood so that our status would change. Upon that happening, here's what happens. Number two, our identity is now new. We are no longer slaves, but now sons and daughters. Our legal status has changed and our identity is new. That's what happens immediately upon adoption. And it's not always that way practically, but it's a very, very close picture. So some of you know, some of you don't. My wife and I have been in the process of adopting my son. His name is Seth, right? I call him Chango because uh, he doesn't sit still. And, and so uh, when we're looking at adoption as, as sonship, we've had ongoing conversations, Seth and I, particularly at the beginning when we first became a family. There were several times where Seth would say, Dad, am I ever going to be Mexican enough? right? Uh, he would say, dad, am I ever going to be Mexican enough? And I would say, yes, of course. And so we'd listen to like, uh, you know, Pedro Infante and a bunch of other stuff. And, uh, and, and so I would say, yes, of course. And he would say, am I ever really going to be a Delion? I was like, yeah, of course you are. Like we write your name on that. Like his schools have done an amazing job of, of putting that on like his report card and stuff like that. They've just been really, really supportive and caring of us. However, as we have gone through that process, there is some legal transactions that we have had to go through that we're still not finished with in order to change his status. We've had to meet with lawyers, and that costs money. We've had to go to the court several times already, only to be disappointed three times. We have had to petition several times. We've had to outsource a bunch of things. There has been a lot of legal red tape in order for us to get to just where we're at right now. We're on the last step. Literally, all the judge has to do is give the green light. That is all he has to do. But we have walked through this process for three years to get there. But once we get there, once we get there, what will have been complete is all the legal transactions will have been complete. So his status of whether or not he's Mexican or son enough will have changed. Even though it has changed inside the walls of our house, it will have changed for him on paper. And to him, that's a big deal. 
right? To him, it's a big deal on paper. The other thing that changes is his identity, right? Because now he gets a new last name. He gets, he gets the name De Leon. And so for him, he's like, bam, I'm Mexican. Like, that's all I've been wanting. And so, so he's like so excited about those things. And those are the conversations that we've had. And so like this practical uh, process that we've had to undergo, God did the same thing. Upon sending his son, there was a legal transaction where he paid with his own blood so that he would redeem us of our sins. And upon redemption, we are given a new identity as sons and daughters. As sons and daughters. And here's here's what's even more grandiose about that. Our identity as sons and daughters is not based on what we've done or what we're doing but upon what Jesus has done and finished on the cross. You see, the Christian life is not about do, it's about done. Okay? That's what it's ultimately working towards. Number three, adoption. And this ties into number two. I just wanted to make it a number three. But adoption ties into inheritance. Right? Adoption ties into or brings inheritance. Inheritance is always something that we want to talk about. Because it's, uh, the question is like, inheritance, right? What do we receive? What do we get upon uh, being called sons and daughters? What do we get out of it? So here's where I would start. I would actually start in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, because what he's going to talk about is what the inheritance is about, and then I'll tell you what it is from Galatians 4. So he writes, Peter, in 1 Peter uh, 1, 3 through 5, he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Check it out. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Your inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Listen to me, church. Your inheritance no one can take from you. No one can take from you. And in light of that, what we see in Galatians 4 is that here's what the inheritance is. The inheritance is, it's the last verse, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The inheritance is that you're an heir, which means that one day you will rest in the eternal presence of God. You will be with him. There will be no more need for the son because Jesus will be the light and we'll be there with him. Our reward is not in this life. Our reward is not in this life. Our treasure is not on earth. And so our inheritance is eternal presence with God. Number four. All right, here we go. Number four, adoption is intentionally planned. It is intentionally planned. Here's what I mean by that. Adoption is part of plan A for God. In fact, it's been a part of plan A from the beginning, and there is no plan B. There is no plan B. Adoption was part of the plan from the beginning. Let's look at Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6. Paul writes, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love... 
he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Adoption has been part of God's plan. It's not an afterthought. God didn't have to go to the whiteboard to try to figure out what to do upon the fall. The plan has and always been creation, fall, redemption, adoption. That's been the plan. It's not an afterthought. And so your choice to adopt, should you go there, your choice to adopt may be sequentially second, but it is not secondary. Do you hear me on that? It may be sequentially second, but it is not secondary. Adoption is at the heart of the gospel. And because it is at the heart of the gospel, it is at the heart of who we are and what we do as the church. Adoption is intentionally planned. Number five, the last one. Adoption, and this is pretty much the main idea. Adoption is the heart of the gospel. Here's here's where I want to emphasize this. You see, God did not find us in a beautiful and in acute condition. Here's what I mean. He didn't find us being awesome. He didn't find us with our lives all together and figured out. And he did not find us without sin. Instead, he found us in rebellion to him. He found us dead in our trespasses. And he found us with hearts of stone. Scripture teaches that that's who he pursues. That is who he goes after. Those are the ones who he calls, not the ones that got it all figured out. He goes after those that are the most vulnerable and marginalized. That is the emphasis of adoption being at the heart of the gospel. And so with that, let me go into a couple of other things. Let me go into a couple of another list, right, regarding what adoption is not including some practical realities. So that if you're considering adoption or if you're considering going into orphan care, there's some things that I would encourage you on. Number one, this is what adoption is not. Adoption is not for the elite. Here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes, in church, in church culture, adoption is seen as something that is only for this small, special forces group of Christians, okay? It is like, man, they just want to give their lives to children. They just, man, they love the kids. They have a heart for kids. They just, you know, that's them and that's not me. Yes, you may not be called to adoption, However, orphan care is not something that is simply for the special forces Christians because there's no such thing. There is no such thing. James, what, where we're at right now in our sermon series, James chapter 1 verse 27 says that true religion is marked by caring for widows and orphans. And he is speaking to not the special forces Christians. He is speaking to the church. It's a part of who we are. Orphan care is what we do. Why? Because we understand the heart of the gospel. We understand what God has done. We understand the cost. We understand it. That is why we pursue orphan care. That is why we are the hands and feet of Jesus in light of orphan care. 
And so adoption and orphan care, it's not this, this, this special elite group. It is a part of who the church is. You understand me? It is a part of who the church is. Number two, adoption is not a last resort. It's not, well, at least you get kids kind of an option. And I hear this both in the church and outside in the community. When I was living in Dallas, I was on, I was on staff at a church and a friend of mine, <clears throat> a friend of mine and his wife were walking through the adoption process through an agency for the second time in their marriage. The first time that they had walked through it, uh, they were about to adopt twins. And uh, I think it was two to three weeks before everything was going to happen, before they were going to adopt these, these little girls. The grandmother of the birth mom uh, essentially pulled the plug and said, we don't want to do this anymore. We're, we're, we're done. So they didn't get to adopt the kids. A couple of weeks passed by. They got back into their agency and they went through the process again. And so what we would say oftentimes is that they were pregnant on paper. And they were pregnant on paper in a total of 96 weeks. And so one day we're at staff, and he had already shared with me the, the details of their story. And so he's on my left, and there's this other dude on my right. And I don't want to say their names because they'll probably listen to the sermon. <laughs> and so my friend is talking about just some of the difficulties that him and his wife have been experiencing, some of the discouragement that they've been having. Thank you, sir. Man, that is, that is service. Oh. <laughs> That is like the best tasting water. Okay. So he's on, he's on my left side and, and this other guy's on my right side. <clears throat> and so he asks my friend, he says, I don't understand. Why are you, why are you, why have you been pregnant for 96 weeks? And so my friend begins to tell him the story of the adoption process and this happened. And, and so hopefully Lord willing, we'll be able to adopt this little baby girl, which in the end they ended up doing. And her name is Eliza and she's awesome. And so he begins telling them about how they've been in the process and it's just been really difficult. And here we are 90, 90, 90 some weeks into it and we're not really sure. And his response uh, to that, <clears throat> his response to that was, well, look at it this way. At least you get to adopt. In other words, at least you're going to get kids, right? At least there's an option for you. In other words, biological kids are up here. Adoption is down here. And oftentimes, that's how it's viewed. That's how it's viewed in culture. That's how it's viewed in the church, that you have some merit. And I'm not knocking biological kids. That is an amazing, amazing gift. However, if your view of orphan care is right, I think that's important but biological kids is up here, adoption is something I do as an afterthought, then let me tell you that you have an immature understanding of the gospel. And you do not understand the cost. You do not understand the cost of adoption. And I don't mean that practically, I mean that theologically. All right? I see that oftentimes and it saddens me. It really does. And so the conversation kept going. And my friend kind of ignored the comment. And so they keep on talking and he goes on to ask this man, this gentleman, he goes on to ask and he says, <clears throat> well, explain to me, so why, why are you even pursuing this? And so my friend ends up telling him and walking him through the process. And one of the things he ends up sharing is, you know, after a couple of years of marriage, my wife and I discovered that we could not have 
kids of our own. We could not have biological kids. And so, man, we've just been, God has moved us in adoption and we're really involved and this is where we're going. His next comment was, man, that's so good. I'm praying for you. Your wife will, uh, your wife will finally be a part of the mommy's club. And that just tore my friend's heart apart because as that he's saying that, he's ultimately saying, there's this club of women who are moms, which by the way, moms are amazing. That is like a triple time job and you should get paid way more than any person on the earth. Back over here, um, there is this club of women who are moms and unless you have this status, you're not welcome. That's ultimately what was communicated in that. And that just tore them apart because he's been pregnant, a real pregnancy for 96 weeks, knowing that those are his kids and he still could not see them. And in fact, two of them were taken away. Adoption may come second, sequentially. In order, it may come second, but it is not secondary. It is not an afterthought. It is a part of who we are as the church. Orphan care is a part of who we are and what we do. Don't dismiss that. Don't overlook that. Don't think there's a special forces Christian group. No, no, you're it. You're that group. The church is. Number three, this is more of the practical things. We're going to sway slightly away from the sermon. Number three, uh, and actually I'll, I'll pair up number three and four. Should you pursue adoption, specifically adoption, excuse me, should you pursue adoption, specifically adoption, it will be financially and emotionally enduring. We covered this a little bit. Adoption is a great cost, all right, financially and emotionally, which means that should you pursue this wonderful process, it must be pursued out of conviction that is drawn from the word of God. Because what we've seen, my wife and I and other friends who have gone through the process, what we have seen is people not count those practical costs well. Okay? They have not counted those practical costs well. For example, on the financial side, working either with agencies or like what we've done with work through the state, there is a lot of red tape. We've been a family for three years and on paper, my son is not my son yet, on paper. That's a long time. That's a lot of interviews. That's a lot of information being drawn out. Sometimes people get burned out by that. You need to understand there's a great financial cost that comes with it. There's a great emotional cost that comes with adoption. This is the one that I actually want to stress the most. A few of the emotional speed bumps that we've seen parents not take into consideration very well has been how much they invest into the child. Here's what I mean. Oftentimes, parents pursue adoption for several reasons. One of the reasons sometimes parents pursue adoption is because they just long to be called mom or dad. They long to be called mom or dad because I'm just going to father this parent. I'm going to pour my life, excuse me, this child. I'm going to pour my life into this child. I'm going to raise this child. This child will be mine. And, And one of the things I remember thinking was, and one day I will hold him in my arm, right? 
there's no guarantee that that child will call you mom or dad. There is no guarantee that that child will call you mom and dad. Number two, as much as you pour into them, there is no guarantee that they're going to say, I love you. There's no guarantee. Now, my family and I, and I know a couple of others, we, by, by God's grace, we have been blessed. Seth, Seth says, I love you a lot. He calls me dad. But when I knew that I was to marry Rebecca and to be Seth's dad, I didn't know any of those other things. All I knew was that I'm going to marry Rebecca and I'm going to be Seth's dad. I had no idea what it was going to look like. I got nothing. You need to be driven by conviction, not just uh, this, um, this false sense of filling a parental void. Because at that point, you're not wanting to pursue adoption because you feel God's calling you to it. You're pursuing it out of um, idolatry. Okay? And that's tough. And I, and I know. I know because we've had those conversations. Right? Number three, and finally, as you pursue adoption on those emotional speed bumps, and, and, and if you're a parent, raise your hand. Right? You, so you know this, right? Uh, are you always going to be a parent? Yeah, you're always a parent. You never stop being a parent, right? Just call a, just call a Mexican mom who has like a 40-year-old son. She'll be there, right? <laughs> and so, so you never stop being a parent, which means oftentimes people view, and I'm not saying this is the church. This, may, this isn't necessarily it excludes the church, though. Oftentimes people will view adoption as this really good moral thing, and at some point they're going to be 18 and they're out. Parenthood does not end at 18. Okay? I have a 12-year-old. If you have older than a 12-year-old, you guys know. You, you parents know it doesn't, it does not end at 18, right? I am one of four boys, right? And my mom still checks up on all of us. Sometimes it's annoying, but she still checks up on all. She, she takes that seriously. She never stops being a mom, right? My dad, I think is a little bit more practical about it. My dad's like, that's your family. Go do what you want. My mom's like, I will go with you. <laughs> No. <laughs> no, mom. All right? You never stop being a parent. So those are a couple of things that option isn't, and then those are a couple of realities that I want you to evaluate. Bringing it back to where we were at in Galatians 4. Church, adoption is the heart of the gospel because it is at the heart of of who we are and what we do as the church. It may come second, but it is not ever secondary. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we close our time, as we close our time, Lord, my prayer is that we would, again, Lord, that we would be convicted and compelled to be the hands and feet of Jesus because of our deepened understanding 
of your gospel because of our deepened understanding of the doctrine of adoption, that you sent your son to dwell among us, to die for us on a cross, paying the wages of our sin, which is death, with his own blood, redeeming us, and then upon redeeming us, calling us to yourself as sons and daughters. May that be a truth that we celebrate and praise daily, not just on Sunday mornings. May we praise that on Monday. May we praise you for that on Tuesday. Sunday is the start of the week. It is not the end. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, um, Lord, I pray that you would ignite our hearts through your Holy Spirit to be that, to be the church that you've called us to be. To be a church who sees orphan care as a priority and a primary call of who we are. And Lord, as we transition into uh, several ways to respond, the first one we will transition into is is tithes and offerings. Lord, this is where we uh, give you our stuff. This is uh, a live testimony of your work in our lives right now. Because at the end of the day, it's not about money. It is about our hearts and our flesh and relinquishing the control we think we have. Well, you're also giving us an an opportunity to respond through communion where we confess our sin so that you would change and transform our hearts to be more like Jesus. And finally, we get to respond through song where we praise you for your work, where we praise you for what you've done. And so, Lord, let us be a church that doesn't look past this time, but actively engages in it. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen.